0: Man, please be seated. <clears throat> if you have a Bible you can open to Luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 20. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. So we're in a new series that we started last week. We're defining ourselves with this series uh, in a lot of ways. We're um, remembering who we are or uh, focusing on who we are, or for the first time, maybe thinking about who we are, like our vision, our mission core values, uh, really shaping and defining features, uh, basic qualities that we have as a church. This is what we're doing uh, for these, uh, I think it's seven weeks. Um, and in a lot of ways, these are ways that we think um, every church should be, or things that uh, we think every church should be characterized by, uh, throughout history around the world, no matter uh, where you are, if you're the church, uh, these should be kind of defining factors and qualities and characteristics for you, and, and in another sense, these are also things that we seek to give particular expression to in this place, uh, because it's going to have a different expression here than it will from maybe a, a congregation that you might find in other parts of the world, or even other parts of our country or city, right? so, um, uh, and basically what we're asking this morning, and kind of this is Thematic through the whole uh, series, but uh, we're, we're kind of asking, why are we here? Right? What's the point? Why ascension, in a sense? What, what's the meaning, um, not just of our church, right? But what's, uh, you know, what's the meaning? What's the purpose of the church? But what's the meaning and purpose of humanity? Because we think those two things are intimately connected: is the purpose of humanity and the purpose of the church. What's the meaning of our existence? Why are you here? Why are you? Why are you here right now in this place uh, on a weekly basis? Um, And so we're looking at our calling this morning, the basic calling that we have, which kind of answers that question, what are we here for? What's going on here? And uh, so we think, you know, the answer to that question is that you're, you're called to be here. You're called into existence, and you're called into the church, and you're called to be in this place right now on a weekly basis. Uh, but for what? Right? To do what? That's kind of the question before us. And the very simple answer is uh, to get together. Right? To, to gather. Um, maybe Simple but it's profound and it's divine uh, because this is according to God's nature. God is a God of togetherness. That's who he is. That's the, the definition of his being, is three persons together, three persons in union, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is a God of togetherness, and God created everything in order to share himself, and he's redeemed us to share Himself and to bring us in to uh, participate in His own nature, right? to participate in uh, being together. So God speaks His Word to us, and His Word in Christ is, come, come. That's simple, but it's profound, and He calls to you, come, come to communion, come to community in Jesus Christ, and I argue that… that's really, that's the point of the church, it's really the point of everything. It's the point of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is at the center of uh, who we are and what we do. So it's the point of, uh, of your life and it's the point of my life. It's the point of everything. Come together. So um, that's what we'll talk about this morning as we uh, look at our passage. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray for your Spirit's help as we consider your word. This is a um, profound word to us, something that all the gospel writers thought uh, much time needed to be spent on, uh, discussing what we're about to read, something that uh, shapes the early church and the New Testament letters is uh, simple togetherness, but um, it seems so simple to us that in many ways we overlook it. We pray that you would help us not to overlook you not to overlook the gospel, not to overlook the most important things in life as we consider your word. We pray that you would overcome any resistance of ours to this word, to your gospel, by your Holy Spirit who works in us to change us from the inside out. We pray for that help by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So that first verse there, verse 14, When the hour had come, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. It may seem strange, but um, but one could consider this the theme verse for the universe, the theme verse for all reality. Jesus reclining at table and his people with him. Um, it's simple, this idea of togetherness, but it's uh, it's who God is when He gives His name. Uh, before Jesus enters uh, the picture, before he comes into the world, the Son of God, uh, taking on human flesh and becoming the person Jesus of Nazareth that we know in the, in the Gospels, and then during that time and everything that's said about him, uh, his name is, he's God with us, right? Emphasis on with. You can go through and preach a sermon on emphasizing each one of those words, three words, God with us, but emphasis on with this morning, right? He was with them. They were with him and that's the point of everything. The new heavens and the new earth, uh, the Bible says, uh, will be characterized by, it will be inaugurated or consummated by this, uh, this idea of a feast. Feasting, um, not just enjoying good food, but enjoying good food together. And not just together us, but together with, with God, with Jesus Christ. Right? So um, the, um, the gathering of the church is a manifestation of that. The gathering of the church is an anticipation or a foretaste of what eternity will be characterized by us with God and him with us. Right? Um, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus himself, God, God himself, God himself in the flesh looks forward to communion. Right, don't... don't overlook those words. He earnestly desired. Those words uh, in the Greek, is, I desired with desire, kind of, is how it is put. It's very emphatic. I earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. He looks forward to communion. He longs to be with his bride. Believe it or not, you look around at the ragtag bunch that we are, and if you know yourself at all, uh, it'll be a surprise to you to think that Jesus would say anything like, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you, to spend any time with you at all, to even come into the world, the whole point being uh, that he is who he is, he's he's this God who is God with us, that is a surprise to us, to think that he would earnestly desire fellowship with us, but he longs to be with his bride, with his people, even with you. Is that hard to believe? Is that hard to get your mind around? Um... He gives reference to his suffering here. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The reference um, to his suffering is something that the, uh, we read it earlier in our assurance of forgiveness. The scriptures say it was necessary. Right? It, it is necessary that Christ should die. And on the third day be raised again, but that he should die is necessary because it's, it's the means of making true communion possible. If Jesus earnestly desires to be with us, and to sit down with us at a table and eat together, simple as that, um, the only way that can happen is through his suffering, right? That's what his love looks like. That's what his love necessitates, is that he had to suffer and die. And he says in verse 16, For I tell you that I will not eat it, this, this Passover meal that, uh, that I've earnestly desired to share with you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So this is his last supper, right? That's one of the things that we call it, called uh, communion. Lots of things. The Eucharist, uh, the Last Supper, the Lord's Table. Um, but it's his last supper with his friends, with his disciples, uh, until something big happens. It's his last supper until something big happens. And what is that? Until, the, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So, Not sure exactly whether, and commentators are divided on this, not sure whether it's a reference to just after his resurrection, because in a sense, the kingdom of God comes with power in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Or if it's a reference uh, to the the ultimate coming of the kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, kind of that eschatological reference. Um, In a sense, it doesn't matter. The point is, the point is, he's saying, "I'm not going to eat with this. I'm not going to eat this with you until it is fulfilled, until it is fulfilled." And he's talking about the Passover itself. Right? The Passover needs to be fulfilled before he will um, uh, partake of, of true communion with his people again. Right? Uh, so the Passover, what was that? If you're familiar with the uh, Old Testament, it was a pretty key feature of the life of the people of God, Israel. Remembered every year with a big feast, there was an annual feast of remembrance, right? It's a feast to remember something. And, and what they were remembering was God's deliverance through sacrifice. His salvation of his people, his deliverance of them from Egypt, uh, his taking them out of uh, the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light and bringing them into the promised land was all done, it was all accomplished through uh, a sacrifice, right? the lamb's blood that needed to be smeared on the doorposts or else everybody would lose their firstborn. In the whole land of Egypt, uh, indiscriminately, Egyptians, Israelites, you needed a sacrifice to cover you or else God was coming for you and it wasn't going to be pretty. right? Um, And and it was through that, through that atoning blood, that that sacrificial, that substitutionary sacrifice, that blood that was smeared on your doorposts, the blood that the lamb gave up uh, because he gave up his life, uh, it was because of that then that God delivered them. So it's, it's an annual meal, this Passover is an annual meal, a regular meal of remembrance of God's deliverance through sacrifice. So the ultimate Passover that Jesus is saying needed to be fulfilled it wasn't yet fulfilled when he instituted the Lord's Supper, but he said real communion will take place after, after this Passover is fulfilled. The ultimate Passover sacrifice that he's talking about is his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. As John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming toward him, behold, it's the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. All the sins that, uh, that would earn us uh, a quick death in God's sight, Uh, All those sins were, um, were punished on Jesus and not on us through his sacrifice. He gave his body, he gave his blood. These are things we remember at the table with the elements that represent his body and his blood. He gave his life is what that means. He gave his life, his whole life, in exchange for ours. He died the death that we deserve to die under God's wrath on the cross. His was an atonement that was a substitute for us. And so it's, it's through him, through his body and through his blood, uh, <clears throat> that uh, we have a vicarious atonement. So we're saved in him. We're saved in Jesus Christ. He is our Passover. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, we say, um, on a weekly basis. We're saved in him. We come to God through him. And that's, that's when real communion is triggered, right? When he says... I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to drink this, I'm not going to have a meal with you again until this Passover is fulfilled in his death on the cross. And then um, skipping to verse 19, because there is this uh, strange, it's kind of unique to Luke, how there's two cups mentioned, there's a cup before the bread, and then there's the bread, and there's a cup after the bread, it's a regular feature of the Passover meal, there were actually probably four cups that uh, were passed around, and it each, each time something was passed around, something was explained, and everybody, you know, it's like cheers, and um, uh, <clears throat> we drink um, to a, a different facet of the gospel. But uh, <clears throat> skipping to the bread part in verse 19, it um, says, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So He says, Do this, and it's, it's a command really to do this regularly. Right. Do this, not just this one time, you know, um, don't just humor me now because I'm facing my death and I'd like to have a nice pleasant meal before, it's my, my last meal before I die, just give me what I want this one time. Uh, it's, it's do this, keep doing this. Do this in remembrance, in remembrance of Jesus, right? He, in remembrance of him, his person, who he is. Um, he's the one who gave his body and his life for you, he's the one who had to do so in order to fulfill the Passover, he's the one who had to die if you were going to be brought together with God if the togetherness that characterizes God in his own being was going to be shared with you and you're going to be brought in to be with him and, and sit with him and feast with him if that's going to happen, he had to die for your sins, so Keep getting to, together to remember that. Keep doing this, right, this meal. It's good for you to remember Jesus. Let this meal define your relationship with God, define your understanding of, of who God is, what He's like, and your relationship with Him. Come together for this meal to, to do that, to let it have uh, its, uh, its definition of you and your relationship with God. And it's a standing invitation come every week. Um, So then backing up to verse 17, talking about the cups together. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the the kingdom of God comes. And, And in verse 20, likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, so I think it 's good for us at this point to remember the context of uh, that meal, and uh, this is something we think about frequently here um, because it appears in, in the context it, the immediate context of this paragraph in all of the Gospels every time uh, the gospel writer records they 're getting together for this this meal. Um, uh, the betrayal of Judas is mentioned. That's the context in in which God uh, has given us this this family meal, this definitive meal. This this meal defines who we are, and every time it's mentioned, betrayal is mentioned in in close proximity, right before or right after it. So, to whom is he extending this grace? To whom is he extending this fellowship? he says, take and eat, take and drink, come and sit down with me, do this in remembrance of me, who's he talking to? He's talking to traitors. Uh, Matthew records in his, uh, his account of this, in Matthew 26, says, as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Every single one of them. Every single one. And when, he, when finally Judas said, is it I? Jesus said, you've said it. Right? But every single person there asked Jesus, if, is it, am I the one who's going to betray you? Am I the one that you're talking about? There's no other kind of person that sits down at the table with him. There's no other kind of person that sits down at the table with Jesus than those who wonder if they'll betray him, when they'll betray him, how they'll betray him. That's the only kind of person that he's extending this invitation to. You know your nature is to rebel against God, right? You know that's in your nature. You don't want to have anything to do with him by nature, sin nature. Uh... He makes it okay to acknowledge that. He makes it okay to acknowledge your cosmic treason. It's pretty significant, <laughs> right? Uh, your nature to rebel against God is cosmic treason. He makes it okay to acknowledge that because he has given you a way to be made right. It's only by the hope of being made right with him that you can say, "Wow, am I really a betrayer? Is it me? Is it I, Lord?" to acknowledge that you're among those, uh, the, the only type of person that he sits down at table with, uh, sinners, right. It says in Leviticus chapter 17 <clears throat> that the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life, so you owe your life to God. You owe everything that you have. You owe your very life, your existence to God. And, it, and, and really the demand that stands over you constantly is, is thanksgiving. You be thankful and respond to him with praise and adoration and obedience. You owe your life to God to present it to him perpetually and perfectly you owe your life to God, and we were made for love, but we have pulled away. We've pulled away from love, we've pulled away from God, and, and we're always pulling away from each other. Right? We've pulled away. In our rebellion, we have chosen death and disintegration and, and distance, uh, relational distance from God and from each other. Because of your sin, the life that you owe to God, it's forfeit. Your life is forfeit. And if you're going to live, if you're going to truly live, if you're going to, to love and reintegrate, which is what life is, according to the Scriptures, is life with God and life with each other. That's real life. If you're going to do that, if you're going to live that way, uh, draw near to God, there needs to be an atonement, a setting right, a forgiveness, a reconciliation. And he's given you the blood on the altar to make atonement for your souls, it says. The shedding of blood constitutes the offering of life to God, and Jesus did that in our place. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the author of Hebrews points out in that passage in Hebrews 9 um, that Moses took the blood of the sacrifices, he took the blood of the sacrifices, he sprinkled it on the altar, he sprinkled it on the book of the covenant, he sprinkled it on the people. It's kind of grotesque. <laughs> I mean the blood of a bull or a uh, goat sprinkled on you, uh, but it's dramatic. Um, and Moses would say in Exodus 24 it says this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. Jesus' words to us in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Moses said it a long time before that. This blood that I'm sprinkling all over everything here to purify everything, this is the blood of the covenant. It says in Exodus 24, after that, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel they beheld God and ate and drank they went up sprinkled clean with the blood of the covenant they beheld God a picture that usually generates terror and fainting and running and hiding they beheld him he didn't lay a hand on them they beheld him and they ate and drank. They were in God's presence, eating and drinking. Right. Jesus presented his perfect life fully to God in your place. He forfeited his life for your sake. He held out this wine, which was representative of his own blood, for our consumption. Um For our consumption, as we're gathered together in his presence, the apostles, when they heard the institution of uh, the Lord's Supper here, when he said, Come and take and eat and drink, the apostles beheld God and he didn't lay a finger on them. He didn't kill them for their sin. His was the death. His was the death. He sat down at table with them and he invited them to feast at his expense. His blood poured out, the new covenant in His blood. And that's a glimpse of heaven for us. It's like the vision of God on the, the sapphire pavement, like heaven for its clarity, uh, except that it's, it's, it's not such a, a grand, um, mystifying, glorious, blinding kind of vision of God. Right? It's, it's in a normal room. It's full of people gathered around a table. It's just a meal with God. Right. But that's where God calls us to be with him. And what is heaven, after all, but the place where God is with his people? Right. There's a sense, in where I can't believe that I'm just saying this, it's so simple, but it's just come together and eat and drink. Come together and eat and drink. That's our basic calling. In God's presence, come together and eat eat and drink. It's infinitely profound. Uh, Peter Lighthart says, he's talking about the um, uh, Genesis chapter 1, the days of creation. It's a glorious vision. It's that that, uh, wonderful song that God is singing about his work and his delight in his work of creation. But at the end of day 6, Peter Lighthart points out that day 6 of creation doesn't end with man's creation as the image of God. That's part of day six. It doesn't end with that. And it doesn't end with God's command that Adam rule the earth. That's part of day six, but it's not the ending of day six. It ends with a meal. The last thing he says is here, I've given you all of this to eat. All of this food, I've given it to you for food, right? So there's a sense in which to live as humanity, as created in God's image, to live is to eat. Right? To live is to eat. When you stop eating, you don't have long. You're going to stop living. To live is to eat, and it's more than just eating for fuel. It's eating for fellowship. That's what's at the heart of, uh, of our reality. That's why God made all of this. Here's uh, I was watching Globe Trekker last night. It's one of those OPB shows. It's kind of goofy, but these people, they're so lucky. They get to travel around the world and have have cameras there, and they get to uh, see and experience lots of things that we all wish we could. But we get to enjoy it vicariously through them. You just turn on Channel 10 at 9 o'clock or whatever it is, uh, <clears throat> Saturday night. Globe Trekker is one of these shows. You know, it's like Rick Steves. You're always jealous, right? Um, but this guy was in India, and he was uh, this, uh, this guide. This uh, woman took him. It's one of these, I don't know what you even call them, places where there's so many different things being sold and food and um, uh, places to to see things and, and buy things and eat things. She took him to the, this restaurant, and she pointed out the fact that it was a Muslim sweet shop, and there's all these pictures of Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and, you know, all kinds of people. And here's the, the Muslim sweet shop, and she presents him with this plate with, like, fancy colored things and beautiful... You, You can uh, tell that it's delicious, but she says about this, and this is something actually common to these shows. I don't know if you've picked this up before. She says, I think the best way to get close to different people is to eat their food. The best way to get close to different people is to eat their food. She says, through the food, I can access a community or a culture different from mine. People come together over food. They share food and they get to know one another, right? And they say that on almost every one of these shows. <laughs> um, we go someplace and you want to eat the food there. That's one of the things you want to do to really get the whole experience is to to get to know the people, go to the places where they eat, and eat their food, right? What does the church have to offer? Uh, what's our basic calling? is to come eat God's food with Him, to get to know Him, and to get to know each other. We have communion and community and fellowship to offer. We have a place where God is with His people here on earth. It's a foretaste of heaven, and it's gathered around a simple meal. It's the most profound thing. It's the most universally needed thing. Joseph Mangina says uh, in in a commentary on Revelation, What the church finally has to offer the nations is God's promise of life and community. That life and that communion are present in the church's supper, an anticipation of the great supper of the Lamb on the last day. You know that's a big deal. It doesn't look like a big deal. Maybe it's so kind of rote. We've done it hundreds of times together. You're just going through the motions. It doesn't seem like a big deal. You know it's a big deal coming together because God's calling us to his table to come and eat together. You know that's a big deal um, when our tendency as broken human beings is toward the exact opposite of that. It's toward disunity, fracturing. How were your holiday family gatherings? Just a couple weeks ago, how were those? I know the Asnos came over to our place, so it was totally awesome. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would bet every single one of you had the thought, like, why do we do this? Or um, I can't wait till this is over. This is awkward. <laughs> you know? or, um, or seeing the, the real fracturing taking place or the real hostility, the real grudges that people have that last for a long time where... You know, uh, it's, it's one of the biggest offenses now. They don't even come to this anymore. We haven't seen them at our Christmas gathering. right? That's the tendency of the human heart. That's the, that's the trajectory that we're, we're all on, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing us together. We're just going our own way, doing our own thing. Disunity will characterize even the, those family gatherings that are uh, supposed to be blissful and nostalgic, and it's like the high point of the year. We're supposed to get together, right? And uh, and and togetherness doesn't really characterize those things. Togetherness characterizes what we do here. That's the point of our lives: life together with God, life together in God, and through God, through the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift of His grace. So the <clears throat> the front cover of the bulletin has these uh, quotes on it for you. The, the Westminster Larger Catechism, it's part of our denominational constitutional documents. It's the things that we say that um, we believe um, as a denomination. but the Larger Catechism says, "Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever, like Psalm 96, just going on and on about glorifying, praising God praising Him among all the nations, declaring His works, telling of His salvation, all of that. Um, That's our chief and highest end, is to glorify God. And that's something that we usually call worship, right? Uh, We usually call that worship. When we come together here on a weekly basis, we are worshiping God. The only way we can do that, rightly, is if we come in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator. He's the only go-between to reconcile us to God, to bring us into that right relationship where we're doing what we're meant to do, which is to glorify and enjoy, kind of one and the same thing, really, to, uh, to glorify and enjoy God through Jesus Christ in worship. And the other quote there from J.B. Torrance, I've said this over and over again, sorry if you're tired of it, but um, he says in his book, uh, Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace… That worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. So it's Jesus' own relationship with his Father, which is perfect, that we get to enjoy as a gift of his grace as the Holy Spirit unites us to the incarnate Son. His relationship with the Father, that's what worship is communion. It's more synonymous, worship is more synonymous with the idea of communion. Than it is just with singing, or or musical praise, absolutely a wonderful part of uh, worship every week, and it it rightfully is um, a beautiful, good part of worship. But worship itself is. I mean, some traditions, some church whole branches of the church call this whole service communion, which it is. Thought about changing it. I don't know if I'm brave enough to change the name of what we do on Sunday mornings from public worship to. Communion, but, uh, but there are branches of the church that do call it that because it's what it is, because God is a God of communion. And our basic calling is to come into that. Come into that communion. He made us, He came to get us in the person of His Son, and He calls us and connects us to the communion that's taking place in heaven right now between the Father and the Son. Enter into that communion. Put your faith in Christ You'll be united to him by the Holy Spirit. Enter into the communion. That's what life is about. That's what reality is about. So here are the applications. Uh, If they weren't clear on the way in, you need to come here. You need your trajectory to be one of uh, moving toward God and toward his people. And we provide a place where that happens every week. You need to come to communion. Communion. You need to come to worship. It, it may not seem like such a big deal to you, but I'm telling you the Scriptures make a big deal about it. It's kind of the whole point of the universe. You need to be here. Simple as that. You need to eat and drink with God and with his people and be found in him. It's our basic calling. Supper's ready. Come on in. Um, you need to learn the liturgy and meditate on it and, and think about it. I wonder if, I mean, even if you've done this for a couple years with us, which means maybe a hundred or more times you've walked through the same basic, mostly unchanged liturgy, um, um, if you could kind of rattle off off the top of your head the order of what we do and some of the significance of what we do, each of the elements, those things that are printed in the bold in the the order of worship. Um, Do you know what that is? Do you know why we do it? Have you paid close attention? And uh, have you entered into it? Have you meditated on it and learned it? Because the whole thing is about life with God by way of Jesus Christ. The whole thing, everything that we're doing in the liturgy is about life with God through his grace in Jesus Christ. And that leads us, you know, thinking about that and learning about that, that basic calling that we have to come and do this, right, that's centered around, the heart of it is communion with God. The basic calling that we have is meant to teach us um, to extend that, that being with God, that relationship with God throughout the rest of our life, right, through the other six days of the week, um, six and a half. Um, we come here to learn what it means to worship, to be with God in all of life. We come here uh, to learn to worship in all of life, to live together with God, to live together with each other. Not a perfect life. You're not going to do this perfectly. Nobody is. Not a perfect life, but but life with God. Not ignoring Him, uh, but with Him. Life on a trajectory toward communion rather than distance from Him. And that, um, I think, especially takes place for us around meals. It just does, right? When you're... When you're um, You've got three meals a day, and some of those meals are with family, and some of those meals are with friends who don't live in your house. Meals are a big deal. Living together around meals is a huge part of the simple thing we're called to do in our worship, in our communities. Be with God and be with each other. Invite people to your house, right, Um, and eat together. Make sure, you know, you try to time it so that your family's eating together basic as that. Very important. Uh, Divinely, profoundly important. It's something that we learn from Jesus. We learn it at church. Come together. Wait for each other at the table. Um, And uh, Alexander Schmemann has a book called For the Life of the World where he says that all that exists, so not just here and now in this one hour with this one table, all that exists is God's gift to man and if all exists, and it all exists to make God known to us, to make our life communion with God. You can learn to see God everywhere and, and participate in his life, to have communion with God everywhere, because everything that he's made, everything that's around you in your life, is meant to be a place for your communion with him and with each other. And then finally, uh, extend this call to others. It's our basic calling, we've we've all heard it now, but um, to participate in God's life means that we take His call and we extend it to other people, right? Um, We extend this call to others to join us. We do evangelism. We do mission. It's going to be characterized in a certain way because when you're inviting somebody to a table with you, like Jesus says, here, come on, sit down, sit with me, rest, take this, eat it, I'm taking care of you. Hospitality. Uh, that's supposed to characterize our invitations, right? Because you're inviting them to an intimate time, a, a friendly time, a warm time. Your, your invitations should not sound like scolding. <laughs> your invitations should not uh, sound so threatening, right? Um, if, you, if you really want to have a friend over to your house, you'll probably find a way to, you know, invite them happily. And uh, if you really want to have a friend come to join us, you'll find a way to invite them happily, Um, but invite others extend that call to others to find their fulfillment because everybody in the whole world is missing it if they don't come to Jesus they're not going to find the fulfillment of the the purpose for which they were created which is communion with God and unity, community they're not going to find that unless um, unless the call is extended to them and you're God's primary agent for that in the world. Uh, you're you're the, the instrument that he uses on a regular basis. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to work through people like us, just inviting our friends and our family to church. So if they're going to find fulfillment, if they're going to find their purpose in worship, in communion with God and with his people, um, we need to extend his call to them. And if you're not a Christian, uh, here this morning, the application is... is um, an easy one to see. You should put your faith in Christ. You should take him up on his offer. You should sit down at, uh, or rather file forward with us uh, at this table. You should gather around the table with his people because um, wonder of wonders, God earnestly desires to be here with you now while you're eating and drinking because God's a God of communion. So put your faith in him through Jesus Christ and come to communion. Uh, let's, uh, Let's pray. Father, it uh, is the point of the universe that you have made. You have created everything in order to share yourself with us in a realm where we can enjoy things together, things as simple as food, yet the most significant part of it being the actual relationship that we share with you, the time spent with you, Being with you. We pray that um, this uh, significance, this great significance, would not be lost on any of us, that uh, we would all feel your calling, that we would all respond to your calling. You are calling each and every one of us to come and feast on Christ and in Christ and uh, and through Him to feast with you. You've called each one of us to communion. We pray for your Spirit uh, that He would awaken faith in our hearts that He would strengthen our faith, that as we uh, come here every week, and especially as we come to this table, as we're about to do in a few minutes, that we would be strengthened, that we would know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we would have full assurance because of Your Spirit, um, because of these elements that are before us, that You are the kind of God who loves to be with Your people, who longs to be with Your people, even though that that uh, is beyond us in many ways, Uh, you have said in the person of your Son, you earnestly desire to to be at this table with us. And this should be the greatest news to us that we've ever heard, Um, and we should give you all thanks that you have made it possible through the the life and death of your Son and His resurrection. And um, so we pray that you would impress upon us all the the glory and the joy that uh, should rightly be impressed on us as we're gathered together, called by you, by your word, and in your name as we gather around this table, this communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.